So, welcome back uh, to our worship here at GBC. We're still taking up foundations uh, of Christianity. Um, and hopefully, you know, the purpose for this is to give us a better sense of what it means to be saved and therefore awaken in our hearts and minds uh, a true desire to worship God of our salvation. That's the, that's the goal of the, this series. Uh, so that we can come here with a right attitude, I guess, uh, with the right response as far as our worship is concerned. Uh, we don't come here for the wrong reasons. Um, because ultimately, if we, if we do that, if we keep doing that, uh, we're just wasting our time pretty much. Because this is um, life and death that we're talking about here. And, uh, and hopefully, we feel the weight of that every time we step here or every time you open your Bible or every time you uh, sing songs uh, of praise and worship. It's that. Um, it's that good news of the gospel that uh, God in his justice, uh, found a way, not found a way, but made a way uh, to save us uh, from that very same justice. <laughs> so um, hopefully it's been helpful so far. Um, so far, we've taken up uh, the why of salvation. Why does God need to save us to begin with? What happened? Uh, I said during the past few weeks that God's redemptive plan began when uh, the first human beings fell into sin. Uh, this caused a chain effect of brokenness and corruption throughout all of creation. So not just men per se, but whatever we touch became corrupt. Uh, in, uh, but before we were made uh, stewards of this whole creation, we are now destroying it. Uh, that wasn't the design of God. That's not why he put us here. Uh, but that's what the uh, sin caused a chain effect of brokenness not just us but everything around us uh, this is the state that we find ourselves in uh, upon entering this world we were born into sin we're sinners uh, but thankfully god had a plan uh, he showed adam and eve that even before kicking them out <laughs> of the garden genesis 3 15. Can, can we just read that just to remind us what that plan was? The plan of God, redemption plan, is that he will put enmity between the enemy and the woman. Uh, and between enemy's offspring and the woman's offspring. What's, what's that seed going to do? That seed is going to bruise or destroy the head of the enemy. Um, but the enemy is also going to destroy that seed. So what is that? What kind of plan is that? <laughs> How does that save us? Um, but it's there. It's, it's put there for a reason, to give us hope that God is still sovereign, that God knows what he's doing, that he already had a plan in place, even as early as Genesis. Uh, and we see that plan throughout Scripture unfold, uh, and we see it into completion uh, during the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Christ is the seed. We'll, we'll get into that somehow. Not today, maybe, maybe next week, but we'll try to get into that and explain that a little bit more. Uh, so even as God was declaring the consequences of Adam and Eve's sin, uh, I said this last week, God never cursed Adam and Eve. Never really cursed them. Cursed the serpent, for sure, but not Adam and Eve. Instead, God 
used Adam and Eve to kickstart his redemptive plan to restore creation back to its original design and purpose. That in itself is good news. Because God could have just said, let's start over. There's a lot of dust in, in Eden, right? He could have just said, Adam and Eve, okay, you're done. Let me create a whole new person out of dust. He could have done that. But God did not. He did not choose to restart. Instead, God chose to redeem. God did not choose to start over. Instead, God chose to save. Okay, now, this morning, that's the question that we're going to try to answer. What does it mean for God to save as he has revealed it in Scripture? What does it mean for God to save as he has revealed it in the Bible? And I believe that the answer to this question is also the ultimate reason why we celebrate Thanksgiving. It's not turkey. It's not all about that. It's not about the harvest. It's about this. It's God choosing to save, not to start over. Right? Now, to answer this question, let's do a quick word or a quick word study on the word salvation. Right? This is, again, foundational, basic Christianity. What does it mean? What does salvation mean? Now, the origin of this word, uh, salvation in English, the origin comes from the Latin, which is a translation of the Greek word, uh, which is the word salvar or salvare. That's the Latin word that salvation, the English word, comes from, the word salvare. Now, this word means to deliver from danger, to rescue from peril, and to bring to safety. We all know that, that that's what salvation means for most of us, right? But it can also mean to reserve for future use. That's what it means to save, right? I'm going to save this for later. Right? Moms do that in the buffet, right? You're not supposed to take home stuff, but let me put it, wrap it in tissue. I'll save it for later. Don't do that. You get caught, you go to jail. <laughs> that's not what all you can eat means. <laughs> But that's what it means to save. To save for later, reserve for future use. Or it also means to keep possession of. I want to save this. This is mine. Okay? Now the word salvation is also where we get the word salvage from. You know, salvage. Now I know Filipinos, we have a different understanding of it. When you say salvage in the Philippines, it's bad, right? Does that mean that that person got saved? No. Salvage means that you got... In the, that's what it means in the Philippines. When you say salvage, that means he got killed. Now, contrary to that, that's not what salvage means. The word salvage, the general meaning of the word salvage is the saving of property from danger. Or salvage could also mean recycling of waste material. To salvage, to recycle. Like if a boat sank like the Titanic, they salvaged a lot of stuff from the Titanic. They salvaged it. If, if a fire broke out in this church, we will salvage as much as we can. It means to salvage, right? 
So that's in English, that's what salvation is pointing to. That's what salvation means. Though in the Greek, the original word used for salvation is the word, anybody know? That's Latin. Salvare. In Greek, it's soteria. That's why the study of salvation is soteriology. In Greek, the, the, the word salvation is soteria, which, come, which came from the Greek word sozo, which means to, same thing, rescue, save from danger or destruction and peril. Now, this word for salvation in Greek has a broader term than how we define salvation in English. In Greek, salvation includes restoration to a state of safety. Soundness, you know what soundness means? Correctness or integrity. That's what it means to salvage, to soterio in Greek. You know, integrity, truthfulness, right? That's what it means to restore a person or a thing back into its truthfulness or correctness or integrity. Um, and also to restore that person or thing to its well-being. So in Greek, it has a little broader meaning. Now, in the Hebrew, so going back in time here, in the Hebrew, the word translated as save is the word isha'ah. Okay. Isha'ah. That's the word translated as save, isha'ah, which means to rescue someone from an enemy or to rescue someone from trouble or, or illness. Now, another form of this verb can be literally translated to mean to cause one to be rescued. So Isha also means to cause one to be rescued. Or one causing another to be rescued. You know what I'm saying? So Isha nothing just means to save, but it also points to the one who's doing the saving. To cause one to be rescued. Or, translated in English, a rescuer. Or, a deliverer. Or, the one we're familiar with, a savior. That's the word isha'ah in Hebrew that means to save. Now, there is a noun that comes from the word isha'ah. And that noun in Hebrew is yeshua'ah. Yeshua is, comes from the root word Isha. What does Yeshua mean? If Isha means to save, what does Yeshua mean? Yeshua is translated as a relief in the sense of being rescued from an enemy or trouble or illness. If you have an enemy, somebody's hunting you down, it's very stressful. So when the Hebrews say, no, we'll save you, Yeshua gives you relief, safe from anxiety, safe from danger, safe from harm. Right? Now from Yeshua comes the name <laughs> yet from Yeshua comes the name Joshua. Okay? Now Joshua is a mixture of two words. Yeshua is the second part of the word and the first word is Yahweh. 
That's what Joshua means. Yeshua or Yehoshua. Yahweh saves. Yahweh relieves. Right? Or you can say Yahweh rescues. Yeshua or Yehoshua. In Aramaic, the name Joshua is pronounced Yeshua, where we get the English form or the, the Aramaic form of Jesus. So even in his name, the Lord Jesus is the rescuer. Relief. You believe that? You just do a word study on salvation. Where, where, where do we start? Salvare. <laughs> where do we end up? Yeshua. Now, let's put all these things together. Okay? So we can come up with a biblical meaning to God's salvation. Put all those things together. And this is the way I kind of word salvation based on the meaning of that word. Salvation or God's salvation, the biblical meaning of it is God's redemptive, or sorry, God's redemptive plan of salvation means that God will cause, remember, cause someone to be rescued. God will cause the rescue of human beings in order to save them. There's a difference. I'll say it again. God will cause the rescue in order to save or deliver human beings from danger, destruction, and peril for the purpose of restoring, reserving, and keeping possession of human beings and all of creation once and for all. Let me repeat that. It's the biblical meaning of God's salvation based on our word study of salvation. God's redemptive plan of salvation means that God will cause the rescue of human beings in order to save them, deliver them from danger, destruction, and peril for the purpose of restoring, reserving, and keeping possession of human beings and all of creation once and for all. That's what God is doing in salvation. I had a, I, I was supposed to have a, like a, what do you call that, show and tell? Uh, I was going to get a Rubik's Cube. You know what a Rubik's Cube is? A Rubik's Cube is that toy that you, you scramble, and then the point is to put it back together, uh, put all the same colors to the side. So when God first created man, Adam and Eve, it was a Rubik's Cube. All the colors are where it's supposed to be. Satan came in and messed it up. Now, this whole time that we have from that, from Genesis 3, and all the way to Revelation, is the putting together of the Rubik's Cube, putting it back the way it was. When you get to Revelation, it's no longer a Rubik's Cube anymore. It's just a solid cube. No more messing it up. That's, when, that's where God's trying to take us to. Right? But right now, we're right in, not the middle, like three quarters. <laughs> So the Rubik's Cube is almost, it's, it's almost there. We see the signs around us, right? Almost there, almost, it's almost at the end. But we have to continue to believe that God is arranging, rearranging stuff so that the Rubik's Cube, once again, creation, all of creation, not just human beings, 
will be restored back to its original design. So in other words, God is, God's redemptive plan of salvation is to fix what sin broke. Right? Mainly his relationship with mankind, which in turn will have a domino effect as far as the whole creation is concerned. When mankind is fixed, as far as God is concerned, everything else will follow. But man has to come first. Because we are the ones who are in charge as far as this whole world is concerned. That's why this whole place is messed up. So God's fixing that. Um, and he's going to fix that. The question now is, how? How does God accomplish this? How does God remove the sin embedded in the human race? What is that sin again? Is that mindset and belief and conviction that we are our own gods. That's sin. Sin is not stealing from the convenience store or swearing or lying. That's just the product of sin. Sin actually is our belief, our conviction that we are our own gods. God. How is God going to save these people, us, without destroying us? Because from the start, we saw God never cursed Adam and Eve. He never destroyed them. So his purpose is to keep these people all the way to the end so that he can save humanity. How does God do that? How does he take out this mindset and belief that we are our own gods without destroying them? Now, I know a lot of people are saying, Jesus. Christina, I remember Christina. Every time. We had this, your sister, Paula, and my aunt's sister, Christina, when she was in young people. Any question you ask her, the answer is, Jesus. What did you eat yesterday? Jesus. How are you? Jesus. And for some Christians, you ask them any question, that's the answer. Jesus. How does God save? Jesus. It's right, but you understand what you're saying. You understand what that means. That's my question. How does God save? How does God accomplish his salvation, redemption plan for man? Simple answer is Jesus. But there's a few more layers to that that we need to take a look at in order for us to truly understand what Jesus means. In order for us to really understand what the gospel means, what Jesus did on the cross. There's a few layers to that. Let's look at the layers this morning. I have 20 more minutes. We're going to go through two books, okay? Book of Leviticus in the Old Testament and the Gospel of Matthew in the New Testament. Matthew next week. Leviticus this morning. So those of you who have read Leviticus, raise your hand. Leviticus. Where is, where is Leviticus in the Bible? Old Testament. <laughs> hey, I'll give you that. At least you know that, right? Third book, right? Genesis, Exodus. What? Somebody keep going. Number Deuteronomy. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to start with the book of Leviticus. We're not going to take up the whole book. I'm just going to give you an overview of what the book says and hopefully point you to this salvation plan that God has. Um, so, 
First things first, those of you who haven't read Leviticus, uh, it is probably one of the most confusing and boring books in the Bible. That's what I wrote down. <laughs> That's how I feel about it when I first read it. Confusing, boring, so many rules, so many processes, so many steps. Confusing and boring, but I encourage you to go, to go read it. Uh, <laughs> because it shows us the most important aspect of understanding the salvation that we have in Christ. It shows us the most important aspect. Not just the dying. Yeah, the dying is important. Coming to life is important too. But why? Why did that need to happen? You, you read your Bible that way? You always ask questions? That's how I read my Bible. That's why I can't go through the year Bible reading. I can't. I just, can't. I just get stuck on a verse. But if I don't understand it, I don't move on. Right? Uh, I think people should read that way. But anyway, it's up to you. You want to read the whole thing in one year? Go ahead. Right? Leviticus shows us why. Why Christ had to die. What's behind that? So the most popular theme in Leviticus is the system of regulations that Moses put in. He, Moses put in place a system of regulations concerning sacrifice and atonement contained in the book of Leviticus. Sacrifice and atonement. Now the purpose for these regulations, or let's call it laws, is to help the people of Israel to, quote-unquote, realistically assess, repent for, and gain atonement for their sins, so as to maintain the presence of God in their midst. These things are put in place, processes are put in place, so that the people of Israel, in the time that they were in the wilderness, are able to realistically assess, repent from, and gain atonement for their sins, so as to maintain the presence of God in their midst. Right? How, how did the Exodus, the book of Exodus end? put up a tent and God said okay I'm going to meet with you in the tent it's cloud by day fire by, by night or no that's his presence but in the tent I'm going to meet with you as a cloud when the clouds are on the tent my presence is in the tent the book of Leviticus starts with okay for them to come near the tent they need to do these things okay? that's why Moses put out all these regulations and laws so that God continue to, meet, to fellowship with them. That the presence of God might be there with them. This is the first clue that we have concerning God's plan of salvation. What we have to realize is first this. That these laws, these regulations were put in place at the time of Moses. Not as a permanent way of God's salvation. Now yes, it was given to the Israelites. But it wasn't the permanent way that people can come to God. It's a pointer to it. You know what I'm saying? It represents something. It's a pointer to how people are able to fellowship with God and how God is able to fellowship with his people. That's the first thing you need to realize. Second, these regulations were put in place so that God can continue to be with his people even though his people and their surroundings have been corrupted by sin. Say that again. They're put in place so that God can continue to be with his people even though his people, their surroundings, and their things have been corrupted by sin. 
That's why these things are in place in Leviticus. Now, when it comes to salvation, a savior or a rescuer cannot save if the rescuer cannot make contact with those whom he is trying to save. Do you understand? He's not going to save from afar. He doesn't work from home. You get what I'm saying? Now we can do that. I work from home. I don't need to go to work. God, it's not like that. You can't save like that. Like the Coast Guard. You know what the motto of the Coast Guard is? The motto of the U.S. Coast Guard. So that others may live. Why is that their motto? Because the Coast Guard, how do, how do they save? They go to where the people that needs rescue is. doesn't matter if it's in the middle of a hurricane. It doesn't matter if they're going to end up dying. That's their job. To go where the people needs rescue is so that others may live. Not really counting themselves. That's how God also saves. He has to be with the people that he's trying to save. Now the God-sized dilemma when it comes to our salvation is that the very nature of God is holy. You know what holy means? And I was discussing this with my basic class. Holy means what? Set apart, perfect, one of a kind. Right? God is holy. As far as God's concerned, there are no other God, other gods apart from Him. He is the only one. And being holy also means being perfect. What does it mean for God to be perfect? Right? Our definition of perfect is when we don't make a mistake. Perfect. When you do your exams, when you write an exam, and you aced it, you got a perfect score. You didn't make a mistake. Does that mean you're not capable of making a mistake? No. Just at that one point in time, you didn't make a mistake. That's not God's perfection. God's perfection is he can't make mistakes. He doesn't know how to make a mistake. It's a different level of perfection. He doesn't know how to make a mistake. If you put it on the opposite for us, we don't know how to be perfect. <laughs> That's us. God doesn't know how to make a mistake. That's why he is so holy. Now, this understanding of God Okay, if, if, the, if this is how people, the people of Israel and ultimately Moses knew God to be that, that kind of perfect, that kind of holy, that understanding of God created the need for the people of Israel to be able to differentiate or to realize that kind of holiness in relation to the human idea of holiness. They need to be able to see that this is a different level of holiness that we're talking. And that's why Moses put on these rules and processes in the book of Leviticus so that the people of Israel can see that, that this person, this God, is different. Not like me, not like you. He's different. And he's, and he's different when it comes to the actual people, separate from the actual people. He's separate when it comes to their space. The surroundings, that God's holiness is also separate from the holy surroundings. 
He's separate when it comes to time. I'm going to talk about what that means. That God's holiness is separate when it comes to people, space, and time. That's why in the Old Testament you see not just people that are set apart for God's use, but rooms. You see how God chooses people that are set apart for his use? Like the priests, right? the Levite priests. They were set apart for use by God. They didn't even get land. They were set apart for God's use only. And then they labeled them holy because they were set apart. Rooms are set apart for God's use only. Which, which room is that? The holy of holy. Set apart for just God and whoever God deems that can come in. The high priest. right? Set apart as far as uh, space is concerned. And then God set apart time for himself and for the people. What am I, what am I talking about? The feasts. Right? The pa Passover feast. Uh, just recently, there was uh, the Day of Atonement. Set apart by God for his people. Holy. That day is holy, right? So what did God do in order to separate these people, space, and time? God had to redeem these people, this time and this space, save them, restore them, so that he may be able to use them. Otherwise, he can't. Because they're dirty, all he can do is destroy. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, he <laughs> some get it, some don't. Some are asleep already. It's all right. That's what I thought. I'm okay with that. Okay? So for God, when God separated these people, this space, this time, he separated it so that he can use them again. Otherwise, he's just going to destroy because it's dirty. It's corrupt. It's sinful. Right? So the book of Leviticus uh, refers to this idea of God's perfection and holiness in relation to creation, all of creation that's broken in, in sin. The book of Leviticus refers to this uh, idea of God's perfection as the holiness continuum. The holiness continuum. This idea is directed by God to the priests during the Israelites' time in the wilderness uh, in order to, quote-unquote, distinguish between holy and common and between clean and unclean. Remember I said that? These things are, these processes have been put in by Moses so that the people of Israel may be able to distinguish the, the holiness that God is and their own sinfulness, right? Now to the priests, he assigned uh, the holiness continuum to distinguish between what is holy, what is common, what is clean, is not. Let me try to show it to you in a diagram. Okay. See that? Holiness continuum. Just keep looking at that. And let me say, let me say this as well. This was put in place again so that uh, things can continue. So that God can continue to be with his people. The presence of God can continue to be with his people, and so that God can continue to use his people. Right? So these holy persons or things need to be first sanctified to go through a purification process in order to be holy again. So if you look at the diagram, okay, 
On one side is life. On the other side is death. See that? Now, when we were first created, Adam and Eve, we were on life side. Life side. What happened? That Adam and Eve set apart was profaned, corrupted. And then after leaving out, leaving Eden, they were polluted, became unclean. And now, on the way to death. That's why all of us are one day going to die, physical death. How does God, through Leviticus, show that he can save? Holy things, okay, can be profaned, but once, um, once the sacrifice and the atonement happens, they become clean again and then become holy again. You see that? It goes up. Okay? Well, first of all, holy, okay, anything that's not holy is common. You see that? Anything that's not holy is common. And then during common, in the common part, it's again divided in half. Anything that is common can either be clean or not. But you see it's not under holy. There's no dividing holy. Holy is just straight up holy. So you can't be saying, yeah, I'm set apart. I'm a Christian. I'm holy. Meanwhile, I live like I don't know God. No. You're common. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Not just common. You're unclean. <laughs> so when you think about that, so holy things, God's people that he selected for himself, God's tent that he selected for himself, God's days that he selected for himself are holy, but they can be profaned. How, God, how does God use those things again? Even though they were deemed holy by God, he sanctifies them, cleanses them. Right? Now, meanwhile, if you notice, uh, the other thing to notice in that diagram is that those who are clean, Although they're never, they never experience exile from the community, they're not able to access holy places, like the Israelites. They're clean because they're God's people, sanctified, clean, but they can't access holy places. They're only those who are deemed by God to enter the holy place are the ones that gets in. Otherwise, no. No going in. But are they hopeless at this point? No. Right? Because what does, what does it look? Okay? Even though you are even, or you're on the unclean part, you're polluted, unclean, there's a cleansing that happens to make you clean. And then after that, sanctification that happens to make you holy again. This, okay, this you, you, it's, applic it's applicable to the, to the sacrifices in the book of Levit Leviticus. That's how God cleanses. That's how God makes use of the tent again, even though people have been there, even though it was touched by, you know, the, 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 even the priests that are not uh, holy touched it. This is how God makes use of all of them over and over and over again. How does he do that? How does he cleanse? How does he sanctify? God does it. God accomplishes the cleansing so that they can recycle these people again. 
through the series of offerings uh, that Moses implemented in Leviticus. Offerings, sacrifices, they point to the greater truth of atonement and forgiveness of sins. Therefore, cleansing and sanctifying people, places, and objects for God's use. Even today, that's happening. Right? I can't stand here, really? <laughs> if you were to look, uh, I think it was Piper who said it. If you were to be able to see through my thoughts, I can't, I can't stand here. I'm unclean. <laughs> my thoughts are unclean. You don't know what I want to do to those people that are sleeping. You don't know. I can't reveal that. Right? But if that's me, how am I standing here? How am I still being continuously being used by God to do this? That. Now in Leviticus, it's the sacrifice of what? I'm not going to go through the whole offerings and all that stuff in Leviticus. This is just an overview. Again, I encourage you to read it. But what I want to point out is this, that these procedures that were put in place by God through Moses is a pointer as to how God saves us through Christ. Generally speaking, in, God, in terms of God's salvation plan, in order for God to forgive sin, there must be a sacrificial host that needs to pay the cost of the sin. There has to be. Sin is in the host. So for God to cleanse, he has to destroy the host. Otherwise, sin continues to live on. That's what it says in the video, right? Even though God selected his people, Abraham and his people, they continue to have this little dark figure following them. So in God to do that, for God to, to get rid of that, he has to destroy whoever the host is. And unfortunately, it's all of us. Right? All human beings. Have you seen The Exorcist? I mean, you shouldn't watch that movie, but <laughs> I watched it okay, a long time ago. In the movie, The Exorcist, the, 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 the issue was there was this child that was possessed by the devil. Right? Now in order for them... The, the, the priest to get rid of the devil. He, he used God's word, holy water. Ah, the devil never came out. So what did the priest do at the end? Come into me. Somebody's saying, yeah, you watched it. <laughs> Come into me. And then when the devil came into him, he jumped out the window, killed himself. Because that's how it is. That's how you destroy that. Jesus did it, right? Took the devil out of the, 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 the person who was chained. Put it where? Pigs. And tell the pigs to what? Go drown yourself. That's, that's how you do it. That's how God gets rid of sin. The problem is, we're the hosts. So really, when you talk about uh, what's God saving you from? Destruction. Because once you come in front of it, what does Hebrews say? Man is appointed to die once and then comes judgment. If you're a host of sin, there's no other way for God to cleanse other than to destroy. We need to know that about God. God's not only loving, merciful, and gracious, which a lot of us, we love that. <laughs> he is also just. Meaning, he must correct 
or make right the wrongness of sin. And he can only do that by destroying the vessel or the host of the sin. That's why unrepentant people go where? Away from God's presence. Eternal death. Right? Since sin is that what corrupts and it's embedded in human beings, the justice of God demands the destruction of all human beings, which he did once, when? During the flood. But after that, did he leave a remnant? A little piece of human beings? Who? Moses, no. <laughs> Some people answer, Moses, no. Noah, right? <laughs> Yeah, he, he still left a little bit of that sinful human race. He destroyed everybody else and he left Noah's family. Is that because God somehow <laughs> he left Noah's family? Is it because God missed the sin in them? No. Ultimately, it's so that they can continue on, so that they can, you know, through their generations come with the Savior, right? But that, that God didn't miss them. He knew. He knew. He could have killed everybody, just recreated, but he didn't. He left because he still wants to save. He wants to spend time and fellowship and be with his creation. Ultimately, that's what God wants. He just wants to be with us. That's so why he goes through all these sacrifices, all these processes, so that he could be with his people in the wilderness. But as far as his salvation is concerned, if the sin that corrupts is embedded in human beings and the justice of God demands destruction, how is he going to save? Because he is also merciful and gracious and ultimately loving. And, and that characteristic of his demands redemption and salvation. See, see the, the war that's, that's in God to do this? But thank God he's God. He can do both. Aren't you thankful about that? Everybody's still like, I thought I saved myself. No, oh, he's able to do both. And for, for him to be able to do both, he had to allow the transfer of sin from one host to another. That's what the sacrifices, some of the sacrifices and offerings in Leviticus point to. That transferring of sin. In the book of Leviticus, it's putting the hand on. When you put the hand on your sacrificial animal, that's the transfer. It's called hand imposition. That's why when you lay hands, what are you trying to do? You're trying to transfer what? The Holy Spirit so that you will be healed. Lay hand. Some of us, blessings. I want to put blessings on you. Lay hand. (laughs) In In Leviticus, it's no. It's transfer my sin. Take my sin. Lay hands, hand imposition. Why? So that the human sinner's sin may be transferred over to the sacrificial host. What happens to the host? That host's blood becomes, becomes corrupt and impure and diseased, having been contaminated by the corruptness of sin. Then that host is then what? Killed, destroyed, along with the corruption of sin that is in its 
sacrificial host is referred to as a human's penal substitute. So instead of you taking on the penalty, the host that took on your sin takes the penalty for you. Now that sacrifice leads to atonement. What's atonement? It's compensation. It's a satisfaction of the justice of God. God needs to be atoned. Or not, not God, but we need to be atoned for because of what we owe We can't pay it. I'll get to that later. That's the good news. Because if not, we have to be destroyed. Now, these things in Leviticus, these, these sacrifices, it all points to that. And that's how God's salvation plan works. During the Old Testament, God used animals as hosts for sin in order that the penalty of the sin may be paid for by the host, the sacrificial animal. Back then, there were different kinds of animals used. Bulls for the priests, goats, sheep, birds. Uh, uh, they were all used so that the, for whatever purpose or whatever sin that needs to be atoned for, it requires a different animal. There's also a different animal for the atonement. Right? But God, by His grace, uh, the all-powerful God, his great desire and love to continue to fellowship and have relationship with sinful man became man. So not just a cloud coming down on a tent. He actually came and became man so that he could be the sacrificial vessel. Not just, oh, uh, you know, it's a bull. You need, you're a priest, you need a bull. I don't have a bull. What am I going to do? I'm, I'm going to die in my sin? Well, uh, probably... <laughs> But God, in His grace, sent this all-in-one host for man's sin. And we have no hope apart from that. No hope apart from that. 2 Corinthians 5.21. What does it say? For our sake, what? Can you read it? First John 3, 5. Right, that, that's the atonement. That's the day of atonement uh, sacrifice, right? You know the day of atonement sacrifice? Put a sheep. They put the dirty blood on the sheep. Put the sheep out into the wilderness. Take the sin out, right? First uh, Peter uh, 2, 22 to 24. God knew that he, there's no way that he can save us if we're that sinful. He cleansed us first through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ by him put, putting our sin in him. 
so that he can come in and save. That's why I said God rescues us to be saved. Rescues us to be saved. So that the unclean, if you look at the, remember the, the continuum? Unclean, it needs to be cleansed, sanctified, and then become holy. That's, that's God's salvation. You can't stop at one point and say, I've been cleansed. I'm saved. No. If you're not growing in sanctification, if you're not growing in holiness, then you're still common. That's why we say the complete picture of salvation is that saved to be saved. That's why I put Romans 1, 16 and 17. You guys read that again? Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to the Jews first and then to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. That's, that's the holiness continuum. You were cleansed to be sanctified. Cleansed to be sanctified. From faith, you, were, you have been saved through faith by grace to save you for faith, for more faith, to continue your growth in faith. That's God's salvation. He's going to take that all the way to when you die or when he returns. He's just going to keep cleansing and sanctifying. Cleansing, sanctifying, until you become, all of us become holy. Amen? Now, we've taken up, why do we need to be saved? We've taken up, uh, what do we need to be saved from? And how does God save? One last question we need to answer. What are we saved for? must have saved us for a reason. What are we saved for? We're going to continue that next week. It's going to be in Matthew, the book of Matthew, or the gospel of Matthew. Okay? I hope to see you back here again. Let's pray. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you. Just the Lord be gracious, gracious. And